When we share someone's story here on The Diaries, the episode might end, but their story doesn't. So many of the people we've talked to, they've gone on to do incredible things. They have epic adventures and make significant impacts in our community. Over on Diaries Plus, we're catching up with some of our former guests to see what they've been up to. I recently sat down with Connor Ryan, a Lakota professional skier from our Sacred Slopes episode, who's been knocking out groundbreaking projects ever since the episode aired. It's really incredible. We had a great discussion about the impacts he's made, what keeps his fire burning, and taking ski lessons as a pro skier. Here's a snippet of the conversation. All the source of joy that I use to fill my cup to be out in the world doing positive things comes from my relationship to the outdoors. And so I really focused on like, wow, like there's so much power if I can give one person the relationship to the outdoors that that I have through skiing. And maybe that will have as profound of an effect on them as it's had on me. To listen to the full episode, use the link in the show notes to subscribe to Diaries Plus today. Yeah, you get more shows, but you also have a peace of mind of powering what's out there right now, keeping us moving forward, keeping this community together. So thank you for everyone who supported and everyone who's going to support. We appreciate it. So today we're headed to Arizona. East of Phoenix. Right, on a climbing trip. Yeah, well, and potentially the last climbing trip we'll ever get in this place. It's called Oak Flat. It's a ceremonial and sacred site for the San Carlos Apache tribe, among a lot of others in the area. It's a beloved climbing area. It's a rare riparian zone in the desert that's home to many endangered species. It is absolutely beautiful. It is. I've I've been there. So what's the catch? Well, it's slated to become a thousand-foot-deep crater in the ground, the largest copper mine in the history of North America. Today, we bring you the latest installment in our Endangered Spaces series, the story of a place with incredible power, spiritually, economically, and recreationally. The battle to possess it, the fight to protect it. I'm Fitzko Hall. I'm Cordelia Zars. And you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Tell me what you're about to do. Uh, I am about to climb a chimney. What, what's the name of this route? Uh, the chimney. The chimney. Yeah, it looks really rad. You know, this is Cooper Davis. He's a 29-year-old climber, mountain biker, runner. He teaches art and moderates the Native American Club at Brophy Prep, a Catholic high school in Phoenix. He has bright blue eyes and a contagious smile. And his outfit today reflects his personality, which exudes equal parts dirtbag, academic, and cowboy. Today, we're climbing together at a crag, about an hour east of Phoenix. Can you just describe what it looks like? Uh, we're kind of in this like slot canyon here, and uh, we're at the bottom of Queen Creek Canyon, which is right out, um, one of the drainages coming out of Oak Flat. And 
it's like a slot. We've got maybe 15 feet to the other wall, which there's a whole other set of climbs that nobody's on right now because it's sunny. But we got a nice slab of shade here. I'm tying a knot right now, tying and uh, talking. It's apparently not one of my skills. I'm struggling, we'll with, I'm struggling with both of these. Uh, that's too short. About 10 other climbers uh, hug the shade as the blazing Arizona sun inches further down the Ruby Canyon walls. As our new friend Ross belays Cooper up the chimney, I scamper around to chat with a few other climbers. This is Lily. Yeah, I climb here a lot. And it's like, well, I could climb here through the summer. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's hot, yeah, you could get here really early in the morning. It's just got a lot of variety, and it's really beautiful and, like, absolutely gorgeous. I hate to see that go away. Yeah. <laughs> so. Here's a climber named Steve. And we used to come out to the Phoenix bouldering contest years ago, and, um, you know, it's a pity to see it all kind of going away. And this is Ross, who's belaying Cooper. I like shade. <laughs> so the routes are in the shade, and... It's like kind of our local crag as far as quantity of routes and, and the quality of the climbing is pretty good. Um, I think that would be a huge loss for all the people who enjoy coming here. I finish climbing and pack up our gear. We drive east for a few miles and pop out of Queen Creek Canyon onto a sunny desert mesa known as Oak Flat. We turn right off the highway and find the Oak Flat campground nooked beneath the generous shade of a few large trees. When we pull in, there's a teepee on the left, wall tents on the right, and a colorful sign that reads, this place is a physical, sacred embodiment of the spirit of the earth. Protect Oak Flat. Oak Flat is currently public land, managed by the Forest Service. Just beyond the campground, cactus and manzanita grow into the distance. The plants here survive off just a little water every year, and the thorns covering their bodies defend what precious resources they've managed to cache. Lizards dart between shadows. Boulders the size of trailers punctuate the desert floor. Cooper leads the way through a labyrinth of brush into a shallow canyon. Petroglyphs hang on the rock walls. As we make our way deeper into the canyon, avoiding rattlesnakes and cactus, Cooper points out several climbing routes. He tells me that if you're ready to pick burrs out of your socks for the next week, you'll find thousands of boulder problems, sport climbs, and trad routes scattered throughout this 2,500-acre parcel of land. I asked Cooper how he first heard that a copper mine threatened the future of this place. As my students make fun of me for being an old man, it was on Facebook, which is something that only old people do. I I had actually seen a, a Facebook post of a video created by the Sierra Club about O'Flat and the land transfer By land transfer, he means the law authorizing the transfer of Oak Flat to a mining company in exchange for other lands that the company owns. Below that Sierra Club video, Cooper saw a post from the Apache resistance leader, a man named Wensler Nosey. He was calling people to join him in prayer at Oak Flat. This was in mid-January 2021. I felt moved by that call. I've always been Catholic. I teach at a Catholic school, but I wouldn't say I'm the most 
prayerful or spiritual person, but I just felt a connection to that call and felt that I'd missed an opportunity to have had advocated for something so near to me and it just had slipped under my nose for years at the point that I finally had really recognized it. I'd, I'd heard about Oak Flat before and, and never done anything. Cooper drove the 60 miles from Phoenix to find out more about what was happening. I met some other folks that had been coming and praying and involved in Oak Flat advocacy for years um, and they really told me the story of what had been going on out here and uh, when I arrived there was a group of men led by medicine men, singing prayers and songs. And so we joined in with them and then sat by the fire and Wensler spoke and and asked for people to pray in their own way. And I, and I felt just very connected to that openness of other spiritual traditions, other religious traditions coming in and participating in what is ultimately a battle of land. It's a battle of the environment for water conservation, all things that I've always cared about. But this one clicked to a new level because of the, the spiritual connection of the people. And it was just immediately clear to me upon arriving at Oak Flat that there was something sacred about this place. And I, and I wanted to be a part of that prayer and a part of that battle. So Cordelia, I'm going to jump back in. Can you explain for all of us how a land transfer works? What's being transferred and when did this all start going down? Yeah, so there are a few key facts that you need to know. First, many Native tribes, including numerous Apache groups, Zuni, Oatham, and Hopi, they called this land home before anyone else. And then during colonial expansion, the U.S. cavalry initially allied with the Apache peoples to fight Spanish and Mexicans. But as soon as those wars ended, settler colonizers turned on the tribes, sparking decades of what we now know as the Apache Wars. Arizona had mineral deposits that were rich with gold, silver, and copper, and the settler colonizers forced the tribes off their homelands and into reservations in the valley. Chichilbatagotil, as Oak Flat is known to the San Carlos Apache, became property of the U.S. government as part of the Tonto National Forest in the early 1900s. I'm with you so far. Then what happened? Uh, Well, so there's this historic act, which was passed in 1872, and it authorized mining on federal land. So anyone who prospected and found minerals and then filed a claim could mine to their heart's content. I feel like I'm getting a sense of where this is going. Yeah, but there's a hiccup. So this place, Oak Flat, began to have recreational appeal in the 1950s. It was beautiful. It had a breeze in the summer. Crowds came to see the Apache Leap Cliffs, where a group of Apaches allegedly leapt to their deaths to avoid capture by the U.S. Cavalry in the late 1800s. And that was a national attraction. So in 1955, President Eisenhower issued an order protecting Oak Flat from mining claims. But let's not be fooled. It's smack dab in the middle of the Copper Triangle, the richest belt of copper ever discovered in the U.S. Dozens of other mines carve the surrounding landscape into multicolored craters. So in some ways, it was only a matter of time before someone discovered copper beneath Oak Flat. So I'm assuming that's what's happened. Yep. So in 1995, two of the biggest multi-billion dollar mining companies in the world discovered what they called the largest undeveloped copper deposit in North America. And who are those companies? BHP and Rio Tinto, and they're based in London and Australia. 
And then they formed a subsidiary company called Resolution Copper to stake their claim to the underground minerals. So they're foreign companies. They're not even American. That's correct. But they can still make a claim on federal lands, even though they're foreign companies. Yeah, there's nothing stopping them. I thought you said that this land had been protected by the Eisenhower administration. So so why isn't it safe um, even if they do find copper there? Billions of dollars are at stake here. There's a crazy amount of copper under this land. So do you really think those companies are just going to shrug their shoulders and go, oh, well, guess we can't mine here? They're going to find a way, basically. Yeah, they're going to find a way. So as we know, they couldn't acquire that land through the Forest Service because the Eisenhower administration had protected it. Um, And so at this point, I'm going to bring in Kurt Shannon. He's a policy analyst for the Access Fund, and he'll help explain. And then what happened in around 2004, 2005 timeframe, Resolution Copper decided that they would bypass the agency. By agency, he means the Forest Service. They would try to do a land exchange through Congress which is not the normal way to do things. They went directly to Congress and got legislation drafted that would convey ownership of Oak Flat to them. What does a land exchange mean? So Resolution Copper will trade other parcels of land that they own in Arizona for Oak Flat. So Oak Flat will become their private property and the other lands that they own will become U.S. public property. For about 10 years, they introduced their land exchange bills into the the House and the Senate, and none of them went anyplace. That legislation was never going to pass through Congress on its own merits. Nobody liked it. It tramples on the indigenous rights of Native Americans because it's a culturally sensitive and religious place to them. It'll be the single largest loss of a climbing resource in the history of the United States. And it would cause just vast pollution to the air and the water. So it's basically a poster boy for bad legislation. There there are plenty of reasons to oppose the bill. And that's why it could never get a majority of the House and, and Senate. So it flopped over and over for about 10 years. But then in December of 2014, a lands package was being attached to the National Defense Authorization Act. Senator McCain, who I'll just mention was the largest recipient of Rio Tinto campaign contributions at the time, slipped the land exchange in at the last minute. It was a many thousand page document, the land exchange transferring Oak Flat to Resolution Copper, numbered Section 3003. The act was released at 11.30 p.m. for review, and Congress had about 30 minutes to sort out what everything meant. And to be fair, this is a this is a tactic that both Republicans and Democrats use regularly to get things passed through. They attach it to something like this and then give no one time to actually read what's in this giant bill. Uh, it's pretty crummy. Mm-hmm. Because many times it's the only way bills are able to get through the stalemate of conflicting political opinions. And in this case, it was a bill that funded the entire military. So Obama, who was president at the time, he had no choice but to sign it into legislation. And so the land exchange goes into law. It goes into law. (laughs) 
Resolution Copper spends five years drafting an environmental impact statement, which the Forest Service releases in 2019. There's a lot of public outcry. Resolution Copper plans to use a new mining technique called block caving, and that means basically they dig a shaft 7,000 feet down into the ground and then build a tunnel from that shaft that goes under the copper. Then they'll set up explosions that cause the copper to drop into collection areas and then they extract that copper, and the land above the tunnel caves in. And not just a little. They admit that there will be a huge crater formed at Oak Flat, almost two miles across and a thousand feet deep. So all the sacred Native American sites, all the climbing, all the plants and animals. They'll all fall into that crater. To cap it off, Resolution Copper will deposit 1.5 billion tons of toxic waste a few miles southeast of Oak Flat behind a 600-foot dam. There's really no good way to ensure that those tailings won't leak into the groundwater or that the dam will hold into the future beyond the 40 to 60 years that the mine will be in operation. So who is reporting these potential impacts? The Forest Service? Yep, the Forest Service. So they publish their findings in a draft environmental impact statement, or an EIS, and then there's a public comment period. The Forest Service responds to the public comments and then issues a final EIS. And according to the land exchange legislation, once that final environmental impact statement gets released, it triggers a 60-day countdown for the land to be transferred regardless of like how bad the actual impact is. So like it could be just completely terrible and it would still just be like, oh yeah, let's push this through 60 days after. Right. Hmm. So the final EIS was slotted for 2022. So opponents of the mine thought they had some time to rally opposition to it. But the Trump administration, in their last five days in office, they bumped it up a whole year. And that brings us to January 15th, 2021. The Forest Service releases the final EIS. And bam, just like that, the 60-day countdown begins. So, chichabhlagotel um, which is what we call it in Apache, but everyone knows it as the Oak Flat Campground. To our people, this is a place that we say is like a corridor between our creator and us here on the physical plane on Earth. This is Nalin Pike. She's a Chiricahua Apache and a member of the San Carlos Apache tribe. She's 21 and the granddaughter of Wensler Nosy, the leader of the Apache Stronghold Group, at the helm of fighting to save Oak Flat. Apache Stronghold, as well as a number of environmental groups, including the Access Fund, the Center for Biological Diversity, and the Sierra Club, all filed lawsuits against the Forest Service immediately after the release of the final EIS. Stronghold cited violations of First Amendment religious freedom rights, and environmental groups claimed that the final EIS had failed to properly assess the environmental damage of the mine. Here's Nalin. 
before the United States was created, our Apache people lived here. And so you'll see a lot of artifacts or petroglyphs of our people. And what my grandfather would always tell us is that you could be born here and Oak Flat could provide the shelter, the food, the water, the medicine for you to live your entire life here with your family. And then you can go back into the earth here once you pass on to the next world. Throughout the 1800s, the Apache people fought back against the U.S. military. For more than three decades, they staged one of the most daring and fierce pushbacks against any occupying force to date. By 1886, 5,000 American troops, a quarter of the army, pursued 34 Chiricahua Apaches. They ran the U.S. troops ragged for months, without a single child being captured. But by the end of that year, soldiers cornered the last band of Apaches and forced them away from their ceremonial grounds and into a prisoner of war camp in the valley. This inholding, known as Hell's 40 Acres, for its scorched and barren climate, became the San Carlos Reservation in 1871. San Carlos Apaches weren't allowed to return to their ancestral homelands to practice their ceremonies. If they tried to escape the reservation, they were hunted down and shot. When the Apaches were finally permitted to leave the reservation, they resumed their ceremonial practices at Oak Flat. Today, many Apache girls still have their coming-of-age ceremonies at Oak Flat, the Apache people also still gather food and medicinal plants at Oak Flat. Here's Nolan's mother, Vanessa Nosy. Mother Earth provides all our ceremonial tools, provides us with the food and the medicine that we can conduct who we are today. If you roam all of Oak Flat and you go and you climb and you hike and you walk through the, the acorn, the emery oaks, and you get to the springs and you see the the rock formation, all that has a cultural significance to us. And that's what's important because we know that it's all alive. As we say here today, that wind comes and it's taking our message. The trees are breathing it in. They hear us. Here's Nalan again. And that's why it's so important that the minerals and everything that is in Oak Flat stays in Oak Flat because you can't extract the copper ore and then fill it back in because that is a part of her body. It's the spirit of her. So when you take that away, you're taking a part of her. You're, you're killing the spirit. We just want to be who we are. We just want to be Apache. We just want to live our normal lives. And then we're having to explain ourselves, what we do, who we are, the history. We're having to explain our religion and way of life. And that's the, the sad thing about this country is that the oldest religion that was here on this land that indigenous people believe in is being questioned. Why do I get questioned? Why are we interrogated? And so it's just upsetting because I'm coming to that point where it's like, I'm tired of being questioned. I'm tired of my way of life and who we are is always being questioned. And the only reason why it is, is because for profit, it's literally just for money. Without my roots to Oak Flat, we cannot survive. If this place was ever to be gone, our spirit, our religion, our way of life, and what we do every single day is being taken away. And don't do it to us, please don't. Don't take that away from us because we want this. 
and we want to have our identity we want to have our culture we want to have our way of life we want to have our spirit don't take that away from us because we're not going to survive in this capitalistic world because we don't know how to In indigenous way and the Apache way of life and all indigenous people, you cannot separate our identity, our religion, and our culture from the environment. So once the environment is destroyed, we are no longer existing. I was raised here in Superior and I graduated from Superior High School in 1996. Not everyone who lives near Oak Flat opposes the mine. This is Mila Besich, the mayor of Superior, a small town right at the base of the Apache Leap Cliffs. It has a long and proud mining history. Mayor Besich's parents both worked at the magma copper mine just east of Superior and got laid off when it shut down in the 80s. And you could walk down Main Street, sometimes lie in the middle of it, and a car wouldn't pass by for hours because there was just not much going on here. So when the Resolution Copper Project was announced that they were going to start exploring and getting their permitting, there was a sense of excitement for the community. There was a sense of a a new invigorated hope. That was in the early 2000s. Resolution Copper promised to bring 3,200 jobs to Arizona, and nearly a billion dollars in revenue each year of the mine's life, which by generous estimates lasts about 60 years. Mining technology has advanced a lot since the 1980s, so a lot of those jobs will go to highly skilled software engineers rather than blue-collar workers. Still, Resolution Copper would employ about 1,400 workers on site and contract with local businesses and bring a new flurry of economic activity into the little town. Copper production brings high-paying jobs. It's one of the last industries that you can work in that you can make a very significant head of household income for your family without having to have a tremendous amount of higher education. Resolution Copper has already invested millions of dollars into the town of Superior. They fund town festivals, photo contests, nature clubs, and local schools, they donate to the budgets of the Superior Fire and Police Departments. So even though they're a foreign company and most of the profit from this mine will be taken outside the U.S., there's no denying that it already has had a tangible economic effect on this community. Mayor Besich has been strategic in using the mine's investment to diversify their economy so that when this mine packs up, Superior won't become a ghost town again. She's created new parks and trail systems, She's building an entrepreneurial and innovation center. She's lobbied resolution to make new climbing areas available when Oak Flat caves in. Mayor Besich tells me she's well aware of the environmental and cultural concerns that come with the mine. But through the lengthy process of the EIS, she says she's gone to bat for her town's safety and future. I understand why environmental groups and the tribes feel the way that they do. I don't disrespect that. But... For my community, for the communities around here that actually want to exist and continue to thrive, 
we have to understand that these ore bodies, they don't magically go away. And there, somebody's always going to want to go after them and mine them. There is not a law in America that is going to prevent mines from opening. You have to start understanding that from the very beginning. And the demand for copper is going to continue to grow. So we have to figure out balance. You know, no matter how you look at this, copper is going to play a key role in green energy development. So how do we best use our American resources and keep that in our American supply chain? I think that's critical. And I think that's a conversation that often gets lost when we have these discussions that um, these minerals come from someplace. We have to start trusting in our processes and procedures that we've created. So America has some of the biggest and best environmental processes in which to um, permit these types of mines. So Cordelia, um, she brings us to an interesting point that I kind of want to get into. What's that? Copper. Like, can we just talk about that for a minute? Like, why do we need it? Um, You know, why is the demand going to keep rising in the coming years? Yeah, all good questions. Copper comes from ore, which is basically crystallized magma under the surface of the earth. And copper is used in construction and manufacturing, in agriculture, medical devices, smartphones, tablets, cars, trains, radios, you name it. They all depend on copper. And ironically, the recent rise in demand largely comes from green technology. Wind and solar use four times as much copper as fossil fuels do. An electric car uses three times as much copper as a conventional car. And demand has been rising for two decades. Between 2001 and 2008, the price of copper rose 500%. Well, that is a that's an incredible catch-22. I'm sort of like at a loss for words right now. Um, it's like, it's crazy to think that we need global temperatures to go down so we don't completely melt the planet. But to do that, we have to blow up parts of the planet anyway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this case, this part is a sacred site that you can't ever rebuild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really messy. Like, the microphones we're using to record this podcast right now? Yeah, they they come from the ground. Right. So, as much as we'd like to separate ourselves from the destruction of these places... At the end of the day, that demand comes from us, you, <laughs> me, and the rest of the world. Exactly. And Mayor Besich's point is that copper is going to get mined one way or the other. And we might as well do it here on American soil, where we can benefit from the economic boost and somewhat control the process of environmental review. Because in countries with less environmental oversight, these types of mines can be even more destructive than they will be here. It's not necessary to mine at Oak Flat in order to have electric cars. That's propaganda that the mining companies put out to try to justify their rapacious destruction of the land. This is Randy Seraglio with the Center for Biological Diversity. The center is one of the groups currently suing the Forest Service over the final EIS. 
There are decades of available copper resources in existing mines. There are more decades available under the ground in various places around the world. You know, there's a lot of places around the world that are not even operating anywhere near maximum capacity at existing mines. So production could be ramped up without siting a new mine. But moreover, there are some places where you can mine for copper where they are not indigenous sacred sites and they're not going to destroy incredibly important wildlife habitat and push endangered species to the brink of extinction. And another really important fact is that probably all of the copper that's dug out at Oak Flat will be exported because there is no capacity at U.S. smelters to process copper concentrate. We're, we're at max capacity in this country. In fact, right now, a third of the copper concentrate that is mined in this country is exported, mostly to China and Japan and places like that. So, you know, when they cite this massive new mine, guess where that copper is going to go? It's going to go to feed the Chinese market. It's not about electric cars in the United States. In their lawsuit, the Center for Biological Diversity claims that the environmental review rushed out the door by the Trump administration was insufficient and corrupt. That whole process was caused by corruption. There's no question about it. The New York Times, you know, outlined how Trump's Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross met with Rio Tinto executives multiple times in uh, 2020. And the FEIS was scheduled to come out in December of 2021. And then all of a sudden, it was moved up a whole year. The center met with Tonto National Forest representatives just before the FEIS was released in January 2021. We asked them, why? Why are you rushing this out the door if you're not even ready? And they shrugged their shoulders and rolled their eyes and said, well... We're getting pressure from the highest levels of the U.S. Department of Agriculture in the Trump administration to get this out the door no matter what. When the FEIS did come out, a few things were missing. The pipeline and power line corridors had not been assessed. There was little acknowledgement of the cumulative effects the mine would have on the land. Most significantly, the mine will pump a massive amount of water out of the ground every year. Arizona is experiencing their worst drought in 110 years. So this could endanger water supply to local ecosystems, nearby towns, and agricultural zones throughout Pinal County. And actually just recently, in mid-June, a wildfire engulfed Oak Flat and the surrounding mountains. Fire management officials reported that there wasn't even enough water in local lakes and reservoirs to attempt to fight the fire. The FEIS for the copper mine did not even mention water shortage as being a potential problem. The law is very clear. The National Environmental Policy Act is very clear. You have to take a hard look at all of the impacts, make a a thorough evaluation and assessment of what those are going to be. And we think that the FEIS failed to do that. In Randy's eyes, this fight isn't about copper. It's not about weighing the balance between green energy and the destruction of sacred sites and ecosystems. Mining companies want you to look at this in a vacuum and only look at the net benefits that they outline. They never want you to look at the net, at the cost benefit. What are you giving away? Your water, precious place like Oak Flat, provides us all with clean air and clean water. You know, places like this are just priceless and we can't just 
give them away so some company can destroy them for a pile of copper and huge profit. Late January 2021. Despite the faulty FEIS, the public outcry, the lawsuits, that 60-day clock on the land transfer continued to tick. Just over a month remained until Oak Flat would become the private property of Resolution Copper. I just asked Creator to put the right people in my path that's supposed to come in and supposed to help me bring all these people together. This is Vanessa Nosy again from Apache Stronghold. And remember Cooper, the climber from the beginning? Hi, my name's Cooper Davis. I'm a teacher uh, at Brophy College Preparatory in Phoenix, Arizona. He was in my dream, but I didn't know him. I didn't know him at all. After the break, Cooper and a group of native high school students lace up their shoes to run 188 miles from Flagstaff to Chichil Batagotil. Their mission? Save Oak Flat. Stay with us. Support for the diaries comes from Ketone IQ. As I've been getting more and more into longer runs and bike rides, I found myself fighting with my mind. As the miles extend, I feel like my reactions get slower and I make more mistakes, like tripping or falling or just kind of feeling slightly out of sync descending on the bike. On those big days, I've been using Ketone IQ to help my brain keep fueled and sharp. I want to have fun, not bonk. Here's the science. Ketones already exist in your body. When you push up against your boundaries, your body begins to convert stored fat into ketones, which your brain prefers consuming. With Ketone IQ, I feed my brain so my muscles can use the glucose I get from whatever else I eat on the trail. Riders of the Tour de France have been taking the same approach. I am definitely not as fast, but I can apply the same thinking. Give it a try. You save 30% off your first subscription order at ketone.com backslash dirtbagdiaries. Once again, that's ketone.com backslash dirtbagdiaries. The link is in the show notes. Please check it out. In late January, Cooper had just seen that Facebook post about Oak Flat. He drove from Phoenix to the campground to learn more about the issue. There, he met Vanessa, who huddled with her dad and a few others, organizing a community run. A few years ago, Vanessa's father, Wensler, ran from the San Carlos Reservation to Oak Flat as an act of protest against the mine. He's been living at Oak Flat ever since, leading the Apache resistance. The Nosy family has continued the tradition of the protest run ever since. And this spring, with the clock ticking on the land transfer, Vanessa felt like the run needed to be bigger than ever before. I was dreaming about it. I think we need to have it come in from all four directions. And I said, because I see certain people and there was like, I seen one coming in and then I seen another coming in. And he was like, yeah, so um, we prayed about it. Vanessa proposed that this year, four groups run from each cardinal direction to Oak Flat, to symbolize the solidarity of different tribal nations. Runners from each direction would meet at Oak Flat for a giant ceremonial prayer on February 28th, just 11 days before the land was set to transfer to Resolution Copper. Cooper, who moderates the Native American Club at Brophy Prep, jumped into the conversation. He suggested that his students might want to join the run, 
Many of them come from the Navajo Nation to the north of Oak Flat. And it was funny because when I seen him the first night, he's like, I got Navajo kids. It makes sense we come in from the north. <laughs> so when we first heard about it, Mr. Davis showed us like a video clip. And uh, the video clip was just talking about Oak Flat and like what's going to happen to it. This is Aiden Parr, who was a junior at the time at Brophy, and he's affiliated with the Oneida and Coeur d'Alene tribes. And a quick note here, the students were wearing masks for these interviews, so the audio came out a little fuzzy. I was kind of upset about it because I was just like, well, this is just kind of stupid, like not going to lie. And then I started getting hype and then not hype, energetic, angry about it. That's the word, angry. When Cooper pitched the idea of running 188 miles from Flagstaff to Oak Flat to protest the mine, the students hopped on board. Here's Cole Log, a senior at the time affiliated with the Navajo Nation. Taking action, I think of it like actual taking action and not just standing there and like using your words. I think if we just let, I guess, another foreign mining company just come in and just take over that land, I think we'll just like lead to, I guess, our society normalizing modern-day colonization. Here's Andrew Reed, a sophomore at the time, affiliated with the Inupiat Tribe and Bering Straits Corporation in Alaska. Because this is their livelihoods, man. You can't just take that away. Like, everybody has a right to practice their religion. Basically, everyone was really down to do this run, even though we knew it was going to be hard. Ten students signed up for the run. Brophy is an all-boys school, but a couple of girls from their sister school, Xavier, joined as well. Cooper wrangled a few buses and other teachers, and coordinated a place for all of them to stay in Flagstaff the night before their run started. They planned to make it to Oak Flat in three days. The students' parents helped find a Navajo medicine man to host a prayer and blessing in Flagstaff. On February 25, 2021, Cooper and the Brophy students woke up with the sun. It was a February morning at 7,000 feet, and... The peaks were just gorgeous in the sunrise. We had breakfast, and we were Steve Darden. He's a medicine man. He's actually my personal medicine man. He blessed us. Like, he made us um, pray to the sun. After the ceremony, the students hit the road. The run is about having human footsteps cover the entire distance in prayer. Because they had such a vast distance to cover in three days, the team decided to use a leapfrog technique. The first bus would drop off runners at every mile marker. The students would run their miles simultaneously, and then a second bus would pick them up and drop them off again to run their next mile up the road. They planned to cover 90 miles on day one. It was like you would run your mile, get picked up, maybe have 10 minutes, and then you're out again. And you just do that, round after round, all day. Wensler, the leader of Apache Stronghold, had given the students a ceremonial staff to carry as they ran. It was really nice because it felt like we were kind of running with Wensler that entire time, kind of like the, the whole head of this thing. So every time we passed it off, it felt like it was like a, like literally passing a torch like the next runner, and it's like, oh, there's a lot of people in on this. But like it was kind of like a, like pan-Indian solidarity. Here's Cole again. Flagstaff has high elevation, and that means the air is thin. And so it's hard, it gets hard to breathe, and it's hard on your body. And 
Yeah, yeah, it was cold out there. He said it was cold out there. Patches of snow clung to the side of the road. The students layered up. Here's Andrew. It's like my legs started getting sore. It was cold. And so I had to take my mask off to breathe. And this was this was like the Flagstaff Road. So like there was nobody around you. Like it was just you and nature. So sometimes you can't you know, cover it pass by, but sometimes you wondered how long it would be until like you saw your marker and you could stop running. They didn't get to rest on the buses. Every time you got back on the bus, you had to call a congressional representative and leave them a voicemail and tell them how your run went. So we were just, we were filling up the mailboxes of Kirsten Cinema and Mark Kelly with just like voicemails like, hey, this is uh, Cooper again, just ran another mile, it was a great one, just really, you know, protect Oak Flat, thanks, call me back. And just like hang up and we had just like filled up both of their mailboxes with messages like that. By afternoon, the kids started to drag. These are high school kids. They're not ultra-endurance athletes, you know. Some of them were coming straight off the couch. (laughs) Uh, Most of them were coming straight off the couch. Cooper started giving the stronger runners a mile and a half for everyone else's mile. I had a mile and a half just going straight uphill. And, like, it was, like, straight uphill. I I was like, no way, like. No way I have to do this. And, and somehow, some way, I just kept moving forward and somehow I was able to finish it. Like we're cooked and really starting to wear down and think that we're, we're probably not going to meet our mileage goal for the day and we're going to have to drive back. And uh, a couple trucks roll up and kind of like pull off the road and out hops uh, Wensler and two of his granddaughters and Morgan, Vanessa's partner, and uh, Vanessa, and, and then they all just show up and and they started taking on miles and they hopped in the bus with us. And like, we were just like totally reinvigorated and we knocked out 25 miles. Like, you wouldn't believe it. Like, everybody doubled in their pace and we just started cruising. By the end of the day, the team made it off the Flagstaff Mesa and started dropping down into the desert. They descended some steep switchbacks into the town of Payson and finished with a prayer by the East Verde River. They spent the night in the Tonto Apache Reservation, where an elder hosted another ceremony for the students in Oak Flat. Energy was high that second day. You know, we we had kind of like faced the adversity of, of day one and, and overcome it so like spectacularly that the runners were immensely determined to complete day two. And, you know, we had moved down the mountain. It was the desert. It was warmer out. We were kind of back in our element as as Phoenix folks. The students cranked out 60 miles on day two and ended on the shores of Roosevelt Lake. The Nosies hosted the team at their place on the San Carlos Reservation that night where everyone recouped their energy with a campfire, fry bread, and a few new friends. At Lensler's house, they had so many puppies. So many puppies. It was awesome. <laughs> anyway. From Roosevelt Lake, the students had about 40 more miles to cover until they reached Oak Flat. We probably gained over 5,000 feet in elevation. And so their runs became solidly uphill. With 14 miles to go, the students ran through the town of Miami. The open pit Bluebird Copper Mine, also owned by BHP, 
scraped into the landscape to their north. From Miami, the highway winds 3,000 feet up through Gone Canyon, where the Apache people believe spirits inhabit the rocks. We got serious when it came time to run the last corridor, and, and you could tell that the, the weight of, of what we had accomplished and what we were doing and what we were carrying was, was really true in those final, in those final miles. The students emerged from Gone Canyon and onto the flat. They met the runners from the other three directions and ran their final quarter mile to the Oak Flat campground together. Ooh, it was so cool at the end. Like we were carrying a banner. We were like running into the Oak Flat and like everybody was watching us. Like they had news cameras and everything. But we didn't speak a single word. There wasn't even a single murmur. We just went up there, we kneeled, showed solidarity. And it was, a, it was a lot to take in. It was like, it's like on the run, it's like it might have been like your, your friends and like your teacher here. But once you got there, you realized there was like hundreds of people fighting for this and made the movement really big. When we got to the end, I just like started crying. I just couldn't stop. And I was just like really emotional, but I just couldn't tell why. As we came into the campground, waiting for us uh, was Vanessa. And, you know, when we, got to her we both like broke down um in tears for just everything that 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 run had meant so all these people from that were meant to be in the run and was in my dreams were here so when i seen them all coming in it took my breath away because one i never knew i could do something like this you know and two, that you have so many people that believe from all different places. And that's not because I brought them. It was a flat calling on them. And we all believed in her. We all believed and felt that spirit. And that's the power of the run. I could put the flyer out. Anybody could read it. But whatever pulls you to say, dang, I should go, or I want to see it, or I need to participate, whether it's a dream or just a feeling or a thought, it's this place. Together, the nosies, the students, and all the other runners, protesters, and tribal members gathered for a final ceremony at Oak Flat. You know, we ask that from everybody is not only just um, praying for Oak Flat and praying for us and the fight we're in, but praying for Resolution Copper, that they make that moral decision to just leave. Pray for the town of Kearney, pray for the town of Superior, that they shouldn't have to rely on a mine. And why are they against our religion? You know, so pray for them. Really, at that point, it was literally a Hail Mary, you know. Uh, and everybody there had faith that something was going to happen, that, that there was no way that come that next week, Resolution Copper was going to roll in here and start cutting down the oak trees and kicking out campers and Wensler and... Nobody believed that any longer after that experience. That ceremony was probably the single most like spiritually impactful 
experience of my life. And that's the power of it. You know, and and it marks a special place because we don't know what's going to happen next year. If we win it, we're going to have a huge run and a huge <laughs> celebration. If we lose it, February was our last run. The next day, Monday, March 1st, Cooper and his students returned to Phoenix. When we got back to school, I get like a notification that the Forest Service had decided to rescind the EIS and pause that clock that was ticking on the land transfer. And so like in that moment, I'm literally sitting in my sixth period class and I just like broke down into tears in front of my six in front of my sixth period class. Oh, that is a nice little bit of news. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, so the day after the end of their run, the Forest Service rescinded the final environmental impact statement, which paused that countdown. The Biden administration felt enough pressure from the students, the tribes, protesters, all the other organizations and activists working to protect Oak Flat that they decided they needed to take a second look at that document. So does that and, and like does that mean that the the transfer is called off now? No, it no, not at all. It just means that they stopped the impending deadline that was giving the land away, and it's really unclear what will actually happen next. The government decided to pull that FEIS because of inadequate consultation with Native American tribes, as well as a number of other environmental concerns. So the Forest Service and the mining company will have to address those areas before they can release another FEIS. So there is a chance they'll make some revisions and the whole thing will go through anyway, though. Yep, that's a very real possibility. But most people I talk to predict that it will be somewhere around a year before they're ready to release another EIS? Because the Forest Service will have to assess the full environmental impacts of the mine and consult with the tribes. But tribal consultation is really just part of a checklist for the EIS. Talking to the tribes is a thing that the mining company has to do to get permitted, but the wishes of the tribes still hold no weight. But though, theoretically, opposition has time to rally. Like, they people have their 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 chance to kind of get ready to to kind of have a bigger battle versus being surprised. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, there's time to protest, there's time to raise awareness. The tribes and environmental groups still have their lawsuits working through the court system. And most recently, an act of Congress has been introduced in both the House and the Senate. It's called the Save Oak Flat Act, and that would remove section 3003 from the Defense Authorization Act and protect Oak Flat forever. So advocates are putting a lot of energy into getting that to pass. As for the Brophy students and Cooper, 
they continue to have meetings with congressional representatives and the Department of Agriculture to raise their voices for Oak Flat. And Cooper, he's also trying to make inroads with people like you and me. As someone who like wants to spend all of their time mountain biking or trail running or rock climbing, like this desire to, to be everywhere and to do everything and to, and to do all these rad sports is empty in a way if you don't stop to, to understand, you know, why the places that we are are so special. Because I think the places that we go that are so special is because, because they're sacred. And you cannot understand those places if you do not understand the people that have shaped them, the people that are of them, um, and, the, and the religions and the beliefs and the spirits inhabit those places to you know the other dirtbags out there like learn listen participate pray like these things aren't other they're not detached from what you already want and what you crave and why why you're doing this in the first place because if you're here if you're under these oak trees if you're under these stars if you've heard the prayers heard the songs you know that this is real that that this is more important than the money that could be created. This is more important than the abstract concept of the economy uh, that people seem to be willing to do anything for. Oh, it's good for the economy. What the hell does that mean? You know? (laughs) What is good for humanity? What is good for us? When did the economy care for you when you were sick? When did the economy ever give you a hug when you were in need? When did the economy ever pray for you? What's the economy going to care when you die? It doesn't. Stop worshiping it. Worship things that are real. Thank you, Cooper, Vanessa, Nalin, Kurt, Mayor Besich, Randy, Aiden, Cole, and Andrew for sharing your story. So how can you help? Write or call your members of Congress to co-sponsor the Save Oak Flat Act, which has been introduced in both the House and the Senate. The Save Oak Flat Act would overturn the land swap. You can find links to the action forms from both the Access Fund and the Center for Biological Diversity on our website, dirtbackdiaries.com, under this episode. We also have links where you can see whether your representatives have signed on and ways to support Apache Stronghold. Music today from Kai Engel, Cloud9, the Free Harmonic Orchestra, Bradley Carter, Brendan O'Connell, and special thanks to Ed Cabote, a Hopi musician who participated in the protest run and composed new music specifically for this episode. That is freaking cool. Other tracks are courtesy of the Artists or Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find links to the artists on the website. This episode was produced by Cordelia Zars and edited by me, Fitz Cahal, and Becca Cahal. Illustration by Walker Cahal, graphics by Anya Miller. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. 